Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 108 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with director Andrew Hurwitz. He's the mind behind a great new short film, Katie Cruel, and he's a byproduct of an important film program that supports pro-liberty content. Boy, do we need that. This week's show is sponsored by Speakeasy Ideas. Now here's a message for homeschooling families from Dr. Thomas Cranowitter, the president of Speakeasy Ideas. You know, freedom is never more than one generation away from being lost depending largely on how free citizens educate their kids. And while we have no shortage of problems in the world today, the future is brighter and more hopeful due to the good work to which you've dedicated yourself, teaching your children. Speakeasy Ideas wants to be your partner for homeschool civic education. It's why we've introduced a new online civics class titled The Political Science of the American Founding. This course will help your student become prepared for the rights and duties of being a citizen by learning the political science behind the great American experiment in constitutional self-government. The political science of the American founding is the result of my scholarly research and writing combined with years of experience teaching American government at Claremont McKenna College, Hillsdale College, and George Mason University. The materials in the course have been selected, arranged, and packaged to supplement all kinds of curricula. You can easily modify these materials to be used for many learning levels, from young students to high schoolers. To learn more about the new online civics class for homeschoolers, I invite you to go to speakeasyideas.com homeschool. That's speakeasyideas.com homeschool. Congratulations to you and your homeschooling children, and thanks again for your good work and your interest in a sound civic education. Well, the 2008 Oscar season is over at last. And for me, that means all those free copies of Hollywood Reporter dry up until November or so. But more importantly, I wanted to take the moment here and say, hey, what did we learn about the Oscars from Sunday's ceremony? Here we go. For starters, say goodbye to Oscar hosts. No hosts, no problem, right? Well, the ratings did perk up a bit. It's only the second worst showing of all time for an Oscars presentation. I guess if you go from awful to dreadful, that's not so bad. And also, no one rioted the following day because of a joke that was not proper, that was too problematic. Nothing like that happened. And the message for Hollywood is clear. You don't need a host. Except you do. A good host, let alone a great host, makes the show better. It's just that the PC police won't let the best ones take the gig, and everyone else apparently can't pass the vetting process. Number two, the era of the movie star, yeah, it's done. <laughs> they threw an Oscar party and didn't invite Denzel or Merrill, Clooney or Pitt. No Angelina Jolie, no Sandra Bullock, not even a Kate Blanchett. Of course there was no Jack sighting. How can you have an Oscars without Jack Nicholson? Why? What happened? Well, one of two solutions here. Either the producers, the producers didn't even check out these people and say, hey, you want to come join the show? Or... They did, and they got a big, no thanks, I'm busy, back from their respective stars. Either way, it's a clear sign that Hollywood is all about brands these days, and remakes and reboots and sequels and extensions, not acting superstars. And finally, Spike Lee once again proves that Trump derangement syndrome is alive and well. 
You know, the director's been waiting for his Oscar moment forever. He thought he was shafted from uh, not getting nominated by Do the Right Thing, and he was right. It's a great movie, and it stood the test of time. But when his moment finally came for co-writing Black Klansmen, what did he do? Well, he looked awkward. He stumbled. He bumbled. He took a yellow piece of paper out from his pocket, and then he read this rambling, incoherent screed about politics, about America's evils, and, of course, about Donald Trump. How sad. Here's a grown man who's whining and crying like he's a 17-year-old on his first activist moment. Come on. What makes me sad for Spike Lee is that you know he's going to look back in five or ten years. At least I think he'll look back in five or ten years and say, you know what, I don't think I handled that moment quite properly. It hasn't aged well. I could have said a million different things. I could have thanked for all the people who made my career possible. I could have talked to my co co-writers uh, co and say thank you for collaborating with me. I could have thanked the people who were in the movie itself, you know, the one you're being honored for. Instead, he made a stupid, selfish speech that he read, and it sounded like he scribbled it the night before, or maybe even seconds before, at his table waiting for the announcements to be read. It's just kind of sad. So what else did we learn? Well, the show's still too long. It was shorter, but too long again. And that Oscar magic is really dwindling. You don't get much of it these days. Of course, the Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga song was it on steroids. A great moment, a great song, great performances. It had that Oscar magic, that crackle in the air. You just don't get it that much anymore, in part because the show is so safe, so streamlined, so unwilling to take a chance. We've also learned that it's also, you never can have a a ceremony like the Oscars that's woke enough. There was diversity all over the place. The speakers, the winners, people of color were everywhere. Women were everywhere and cool. But guess what? Everyone's up in arms because the movie that wasn't quite woke enough, Green Book, won Best Picture. Is anyone besides Hollywood's inner circle eager for the 2020 Oscar ceremony? I doubt it. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. He still sleeps with the nightlight on. Now here's the hit tweet of the week. Ah, Tom Arnold, he's back. And he's still on Twitter. He's also employable, despite a string of hate messages on social media that would have crushed a writer of Center Star's career by now. Not Tom. He keeps on keeping on. And this week, he took aim at Van Jones. Why? Well, the liberal pundit made a sin. He appeared at CPAC talking about prison reform. He reached across the aisle, and that's a no-no to the resistance. You just can't do that. Other side just ain't human, and for that, he must be punished. Right, Tom? Here's Tom's tweet. Van Jones better be at CPAC to fight one of those idiots. You know, old Tom has taken that whole punch a Nazi meme a little bit too far. I'm Patrick Corelci. And I'm Adriana Cortez. And we're the hosts of Red Pilled America, a new storytelling podcast. Red Pilled America is not another talk show covering the day's news. We are all about telling stories. Stories Hollywood doesn't want you to hear. Stories the media mocks. Stories about everyday Americans that the elites ignore. You can think of Red Pilled America as audio documentaries, and we promise only one thing, the truth. Visit the iHeartRadio app right now to listen to Red Pilled America. My hit tip of the week is Junebug. You know, all the way back in 2005, we didn't know who Amy Adams was. Junebug changed that. She's not the star of the movie, but 
She is a critical part of it for sure. The film follows an art dealer, played by M. Beth Davids, who travels to North Carolina for work, but also to see her husband's family. I guess she hasn't had extended time with them, and now it's time to check them out. And, of course, Amy Adams plays one of the family members, one of the more interesting ones, I'll just put it that way. Junebug is a really good movie. It's smartly observed, it's droll, it's interesting, gets your attention and keeps it, but it's Adams who really stands out in this pack of talented stars. She earned an Oscar nomination for the part, didn't get it, but it announced that, hey, here's a major new star on the horizon. And of course, she won a couple more Oscar nominations since then, and I'm pretty sure she's going to win one outright one day. And uh, I think it's just a matter of time, probably sooner than later. Today, she's part of the rarefied era of the Hollywood A-list. She's a superstar. She deserves to be. But we got a piece of it, a peek at it, by watching Junebug. Junebug is available right now on Netflix. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. You know, short films don't get a lot of love from the masses these days. And it's weird and a shame because don't we all sit around our computers and laptops and smartphones and watch YouTube videos? What are they? They're just short films. Some are very short, but we have the patience to watch short films. Why don't short movies get more love? But this one in particular kind of grabbed my attention. It's called Katie Cruel. And it feels like a feature film, both in the acting and the quality and the production and also the intensity. It follows a young woman in the late 1800s who is dominated by the men in her life. It's a pretty tough situation. But along comes a stranger from out of town, I guess you could say out of country, and suddenly she has a new perspective on her future. The director here is Andrew Hurwitz, and uh, he also co-wrote the script, and he's part of a fascinating program from Tal Nexus. They offer a lot of interesting training programs for freedom-loving filmmakers, mentorship, supplies, funding, a variety of ways to help young filmmakers find their voice. And again, liberty is the focus of their storytelling, and boy, is that important. So, I invited Andrew on the HitCast. He talks a little bit about Katie Cruel, about the program itself, and also about his upcoming feature film, Sugartown, coming out later this year. Here's my chat with director Andrew Hurwitz. Well, Andrew, thanks for joining the show. And I, I'd read a little bit about your background and that it, it sounds like you didn't have a traditional film school experience, that you kind of were self-taught. Is, is that true? Or maybe you can kind of expand on that for me and, and tell us what, what happened. Um, yeah, well, for, first of all, um, thank you for, for having me. Um, sure. I, um, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't go to film school, um, I, um, but, I, but I definitely um, studied filmmaking and um, uh, you know, in, in, in many other ways, put together, um, an education, um, for me, it was mostly, um, working on sets and being, um, being in it and around it as much as possible. Um, definitely, uh, making movies, um, from, from a young age was, um, an important way to just kind of get, uh, get a handle on it. Um, and then, uh, just continually, um, watching, watching movies and listening to interviews and just trying to um, absorb it from as many angles as possible, just constantly. So that's been my education. And, and this is a corny question, but I, I, I know for filmmakers, they often look to established directors or particular films that really inspire them, kind of inform the way they they see the world. Were there any films like that for you, or any directors that you can kind of point to? Um, I think when I um, started out, um, when I first decided I wanted to be a filmmaker, which 
which was pretty pretty young. I was around twelve or thirteen. Um, it was initially um, a movie I saw, um, The Conformist, um, by Bernardo Bertolucci, which I saw when I was thirteen, um, and uh, just kind of overwhelmed me and blew me away, and was just something that um, completely kind of took over my brain. Um, and then uh, at the start, uh, definitely um, Stanley Kubrick um, was the first director that really um, kind of. Uh, filled my head and sort of um, pointed me in, in the direction I wanted to start to go on. And then um, over time, just just a bunch of directors, a lot of great American directors from the 70s, a lot of European filmmakers. Um, I watch a lot of movies and have, um, at this point, just a ton of uh, filmmakers that inspire me. I, I like your story, and I think I don't want to diminish film school. It's obviously important, but at the same time, I think you can. There are ways around, especially with technology today. Were there any things you've leaned on from a technological point of view that really helped you out as a young filmmaker, as you were kind of finding your voice? Because I know for me, I never studied being an entrepreneur, but I've kind of had to right. educate myself, and I've listened to about a million podcasts, and I've read books, mm -hmm. and I kind of went around the school circuit to kind of get where I am. From your perspective, were there any technologies, software programs, anything that kind of you can point to and say, hey, this was sort of part of my learning process? Yeah, I mean, just uh, just cheap and available cameras. Um, I remember uh, just as a little kid having a, um, a Hi8 camera. I don't know if you remember those, um, those old uh, kind of tape tape video cameras, um, having that as a, um, as a child. Then, um, uh, you know, um, my old Panasonic, um, DVX, uh, again, just, uh, some, some kind of cameras that a couple years ago or 10 years ago were very cool and, <laughs> and cutting edge. Um, and then, um, DSLRs after that. And I just think, um, uh, you know, the, the, the tools were always, um, pretty, pretty darn easy to get your hands on. Um, and, um, I guess for me, it definitely became, and is, is, is increasingly clear that, um, um, since, you know, the, the playing field is so leveled and there's so many, um, points of entry for so many people to tell stories, then the thing that becomes really important is that, um, uh, that you have a story to tell and that you find, um, you find the thing that, that only you can do, um, because um, there's a lot of people, and I think in my generation, that uh, just um, have grown up with the tools and grown up with access to movies, and so they know they just sort of have um, a handle on how to how to cut a scene together and how to tell a story visually, um, and that's kind of um, that's sort of a more common um, skill set to have, and so just really having a voice, I think, is the thing that that comes into focus as being that's that's what's really important. Well, let's talk a little bit about your voice and more specifically your short film, Katie Cruel. I think it's about 12 or so minutes long, but it, it's got, I don't want to say it packs a punch, it packs a series of punches. Uh, talk a little bit about the inspiration, then we'll kind of dig deeper into the story. Yeah, um, it was uh, it was a character, the, the movie is set in the past, and it, it is a kind of an American uh, myth, and um, the character came uh, many, many years ago. Um, um, just based on kind of where I was, I was in, uh, in Finland where my, my mom is from and I was in, um, in the country in kind of a, a rural, um, situation reading books and the character kind of, kind of emerged in my mind and, and then, um, the desire to tell, um, kind of a biblical kind of primal, um, story of family and violence and redemption, um, just kind of began to, um, uh, form itself in my in my head um and then 
back in 2016, I moved uh, to Los Angeles from San Francisco, my, my hometown, and got involved with um, an organization called uh, Taliesin Nexus. Um, and they had what was then called the um, Liberty Lab for Film, which is now the Smash Cut Film Lab. And they, um, they uh, it's a grant and kind of incubator program for um, short films that explore um, liberty. And um, my movie got um, kind of in their, in their pipeline. And, and then in the process of developing it with them, um, they had the idea that we could take this character in this um, this world that that I had come up with and and give it um, kind of a bigger historical resonance and take this character Katie um, and imagine her as um, Lady Liberty as the inspiration for the Statue of Liberty and give it that historical component and that kind of direct connection to American history and um, we went from there and uh, went on the journey of uh, putting that movie together. When you think about the short, there's certainly violence in it. It's pretty intense. And there's been a lot of debate in our culture, you know, when do you show violence, when it's too much, when you pull back, what happens off screen and on screen. Talk a little bit about your approach here because you need that violence. It's from my perspective, you can't have the story without that violence. It's all part of the organic nature of it. But as a filmmaker, talk about how you applied it, where you put the brakes on and where you kind of went full speed. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the, at the origin of, of, of it all, I, I always wanted it to be, um, for the violence to be kind of a very, very primal and deep expression of, um, what the character, how the character essentially expresses herself and declares her identity and carves out her path. Um, so I knew I wanted it to be, um, big and um emotional and central to her and who she is and who she becomes as she um pursues her freedom um and then i think in the process of actually um planning out the movie and finding its its voice and its style and its kind of uh internal you know logic of this world um it became just important to um i think to just try and make it um make it real so that, um, you know, there's a lot of ways and obviously to stage, um, violence and, um, we just wanted to keep it very, very connected to the character and connected to, um, a sense of authenticity of what, um, what it would be like to actually, you know, use a shotgun, mm -hmm. um, in 1871 and, um, to, um, kind of let the material, uh, speak for itself and not, um, to, to build up to build up the entire experience through the character's journey um, and let the violence come from her and not uh, you know try and stylize it beyond that. Gotcha. No Tarantino-esque yeah. flourishes here, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we just had the Oscars and obviously the giveaway Oscars for Best Short Film, Best Animated Short, and I think there's often a disconnect because the public at large often hasn't heard of these movies and it doesn't diminish the talent or the expertise behind them, but I think that the average moviegoer doesn't may not get short films. So as a filmmaker, as someone in, enmeshed in this world, talk about what the short film means to both you and also sort of the, maybe the culture at large. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I've always um, I've always been pursuing features. So uh, the the honest answer for me is that um, I have always. Um, I've always just been itching to make features and, and the short for me is kind of just an impression and a taste of, of what a bigger story could be. Um, I think, uh, honestly, I think it's, yeah, it's a good question. I'm not, um, 
I think that um, it's kind of a limbo, I think, for filmmakers um, with shorts, because um, that's sort of the that's the path that we um, that we are kind of urged to take. And that seems like the most um, accessible way just to start making stuff. Um, but uh, I think um, there really isn't um, there is not yet uh, kind of a big kind of a functioning um infrastructure for really making short films um matter to audiences and finding a way to really put them in front of people i, th- I think that that is um something that will get built and and maybe is getting built um uh um yeah we're lucky with katie cruel they're they're launching it um tell yes and nexus is launching it on their publishing platform cinder cube so um that is a um an endeavor that's sort of trying to um get short films in front of people in a meaningful way. Um, I think that that's something that um, needs to be built and, and, and maybe hasn't been built yet. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, think, I feel like the landscape is ripe for it because we all watch YouTube and Vimeo, Vimeo clips and we're right. ready for smaller content that's more accessible and, and kind of bite-sized in a sense. But uh, And then, of course, it's a calling card for you if you're going to any sort of studio or meeting with people. You can say, hey, look at my short film and they get a right. quick impression of what your, your visual composition, what you can tell with the story things like that. So from your, when, once you've got a Katie Krull in the can, is it promoting it on the film festival circuit? Sort of, what, how do you kind of use that to kind of advance your career specifically? Um, yeah, I mean, for, for Katie Krull, definitely um, the first focus was getting it into film festivals, um, which is another kind of interesting and exciting and often ambiguous landscape. It's not always clear um, exactly what, you are looking for from that. But I think for me, um, the experience was just a lot about being able to, um, put it in front of audiences and being able to, um, ultimately do what the job of a filmmaker is, which is to, um, entertain people and to put, to put something in front of people and get them to, um, be engaged and to fill their head with a vision for a certain period of time. Um, I mean, I think, um, you know, you, you get those laurels from, from film festivals. They'll, they'll literally email you your, your laurels and that, 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 that can't be it. I mean, that, that can't be the point. It's just um, this sort of film graphic that you stick somewhere. I really think um, it just comes down to, um, I think when I think about, um, in my opinion, really taking control of your your career and trying to um, tr- trying to really launch yourself in a very um, complex business um for me, it's useful to just remember that it really boils down to um, putting your work in front of people and, and inspiring them. Gotcha. Uh, filmmaking is really a tough business. I talk to so many established filmmakers who still struggle day after day to get their, you know, get the funding, to get the actors involved, to get the production all in line. Has there been kind of a low point for you as a, as a young filmmaker? And conversely, just to balance things out, what's been sort of a, a real high point for you to kind of give it a, a, an equal measure? Um, I think the, the lower points were just when I was younger and, uh, uh, confidence was lower and the, um, the process of, of having a career and, um, sustaining this seemed somehow more um, delusional and impossible when, when I was younger. And I think, um, just because it's hard, you know, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to get a movie made that is its own sort of marathon and then, and then getting it made sort of um, is, is, is just the beginning of the real work of getting it to an audience and um, building some momentum from it so that you can move on to the next thing and, and make this whole um, process, which consumes all your time and energy, making it um, sustainable and profitable. Um, and for me, um, the high point, I would say that I'm sort of in the midst of um, realizing the high 
point because this is all a, a big um ongoing you know journey uh as a as a filmmaker um but for me it's really um just kind of clearing the clutter of of um the mental clutter of of thinking about to do, doing this work and i think the, the the very 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 mixed and often misleading signals you get from the the kind of quote-unquote industry itself because mm-hmm. often it's just this it's just this looming idea it's not always this thing that um is um real it's sort of more uh, uh this kind of perception that you carry around i think that for me it's been very very um inspiring in my path to be able to just clear the clutter and focus on um doing the work and on digging deep into myself and into my um, collaborations to just um, really, really put out the best possible work that I can, and 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 follow that to the end, and and really just not be distracted from that singular um, task. Mm. And imagine it's a filmmaker, so someone may kind of blow smoke your way and say, "Oh, you're the best," or you might get sort of an an accolade or a laurel, as you mentioned. And then there's the that can be a distraction from the hey, I've still got work to do. I've got to get the film out there. I've got to prove myself. I've got to improve as a filmmaker. Is that sort of part of what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I would I would love for for people to tell me I'm the best. That would be <laughs> that's 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 always uh, that's always nice to get. Um, yeah, I just think I think that the the reward and the joy and the point of doing this is the process. Um, mm. And the more that the more that your focus is on being a storyteller and less on arriving at some destination in your career i think that um the more that you give up on um the um the kind of idea of 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 being something or arriving somewhere um the more that you can just um tell stories and Mm -hmm. and and expand into that and and i think for me a lot of the best filmmakers and the ones who have the most interesting and dynamic careers um you know, Ridley Scott or Clint Eastwood come to mind as good examples. These are filmmakers that are um, looking into the future constantly and they're not, um, they're never settling into some kind of satisfaction with what they have done or what they, um, how they're seen. They are, they are living for the next project. And I mm-hmm. think that's the, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. Seem to work out for Clint and Ridley, that's for sure. I talked briefly mm-hmm. about the Tal Nexus experience, the film lab and what, what it, how did it help you? What did it offer to you? Uh, just I, for for other filmmakers who might be curious about it, it sounds it sounds interesting. I'm just sort of getting to know that uh, organization myself, but I just thought you could yeah. maybe shed a unique light in it because you've gone through it. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, it's a network. Um, it is a um, a community of um, storytellers, of um, members of the industry, of other um, filmmakers, um, kind of nurturing their careers and their projects along. Um, uh, the, the two um, main components. The first is that um, it is a grant, or the the, the Smash Cut Lab is, is a grant granted program that gives you the support to make your movie. It's a network of of connections and resources, and then um, it's kind of like an incubator in that um, you're paired with uh, mentors and you go through um, a process of um, presenting your ideas, um, pitching them essentially to a group of um, industry writers, directors. Um, and then, um, we had, uh, we were lucky enough. We got to work with, um, Paul Gay, um, screenwriter wrote uh, liar, liar. Mm-hmm. So we worked with Paul for a while. And then we worked with, um, Warren Lewis, um, who, uh, speaking of uh, Ridley Scott, he wrote, um, black rain, um, with uh, Michael Douglas. So we got to, 
um, worked with Warren and these, these were, you know, these were screenwriters who, um, gave us one on one time and by us, I mean, me and uh, Sylvia, my, my co-writer and co-producer, um, we got to, um, just workshop our, our, our writing with, with them and to really fine tune, um, the scripts and then, um, uh, and then make the thing. Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, up, one of the things I want to go talk to you about before we wrap things up is Sugartown, your first feature-length movie coming out later this year. I want to read the tagline so uh, people listening can get a sense of it, but I want cool. to maybe expand a bit. A man and a woman are compelled by a mysterious higher power to lose themselves in each other. Now, I, I'm interested. Give, give me a little bit more. Yeah. There, may be, there may be kind of thing where you can't talk about it too much, but I, yeah. you've got to give us a little more to kind of whet our appetites. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it's a movie I'm incredibly, incredibly excited about. And me and my team, we put a lot into, um, bringing this thing together. Um, essentially, um, it is a movie about, um, the future and about our relationship with, um, technologies that, um, lim- that, that are limitless, that dwarf us, um, that, that, um, basically, um, two people are, um, pawns in a, in a, um, kind of larger, scheme of reality and technology which um controls them and puts them on uh increasingly uh psychedelic paths um so uh it's it's a love story about the future and um yeah yeah, that's uh that's that's what's coming up and and um it's uh yeah it's very it's very it's very dear to me and uh i'm very excited to get that out to the world yeah sounds ambitious too hardly a fluffy rom-com to kick off your film career but uh uh-huh. before yeah. I let you go any other sort of snippets or visions or th- projects you're working on now that you'd like to tackle genres that you haven't done yet what's what sort of the next uh two years look like for you once once sugartown is in theaters yeah I'm, I'm i'm writing um another feature now um uh another um it's it's, it's a science fiction film about um a woman whose identity has been erased who seeks out her um the truth of who she is and her her, her role in the destiny of humankind um i'm kind of i'm basically uh, yeah i'm really gearing up just to tell um big ambitious stories and um as a filmmaker yeah i'm just uh I just you know, like kind of, as I mentioned before, just the more that I, the more that I work and the more I'm, I'm doing it, the more that I want to do it. And the mm-hmm. more that um, I just feel very grateful to be able to, um, devote my life to telling uh, big stories. So that's, that's the track that I'm on. Yeah. sounds like you've hit that sweet spot. So, uh, we'll look forward to that movie and more projects. Thanks again, Andrew, for joining the HitCast. You can see Andrew's really excellent film, Katie Cruel, right now on Vimeo, or you can go to andrewherwitz.com. There'll be links to all of this on the show notes page. And then, of course, check out Sugartown coming out later this year. Andrew, thanks so much for your time and uh, looking forward to the next uh, stages in your career. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. You know what this is? A commercial? Right. And you know what that means. Time for a snack? Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can! 
Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure. You know what this is? A commercial? Right, and you know what that means. <gasps> Time for a snack? Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can. Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure.